Hello Kings fans and welcome to Kings Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony with me, my co-host, John. It's uh, the regular season. It's over. It's over. It's the postseason officially starting in about, what, five days from today, Saturday, 5.30 Pacific time. Kings take on the Warriors. Man, first time, you know, in 17 years, we're finally going to see a playoff game. First one at the Golden One Center. Playoff tickets came out yesterday. They were, you know, they came with a hefty price. Not sure if I'll be able to go to one, at least in the first round, but I can only imagine they get more expensive. But, you know, Kings ended April, what, one and five, I want to say. One and and four. One and four. They played five games, went one and four. Um, But honestly, who really cares? They had clinched by that point. I mean, the big news was just kind of not really big news, but the, the bigger picture was just getting ready for the playoffs. And here we finally are a week away, less than a week away until the first playoff game. How are we feeling, John? Well, it's exciting, first of all, for the historical context for the Kings, as well as the series, the matchup with Golden State, all Northern California. First time that's ever happened. It's really the First, it feels like one of the first times where both of these teams were were good. Um, it's exciting, and there's a ton to talk about in terms of that. And getting here it wasn't necessarily a given, although the anticipation that a Warriors Kings playoff series was coming uh, Sunday was kind of fun to scoreboard watch more than anybody's ever had to do uh, before at any point in the season, but. Watching how the Lakers, the the, the and now I'm like forgetting <laughs> the Timberwolves and the New Orleans Pelicans game, the uh, Clippers and the Suns, uh, and then of course the Warriors were always going to beat the lowly Trailblazers, but they didn't just beat them either. They, yeah, they sm- it was like 150 to something. It was like I think they had to put up the highest scoring first quarter ever. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> It was a it was a it was a schlack down as I like to call it. Portland, Portland. Do you think Port- Portland had their fans had any idea that they'd end up with that kind of close to the season? Man, Portland. I yeah, I did. But remember when we were like, "Yeah, is Portland gonna be better than Kings?" Or maybe we never said that. I'm pretty sure we always thought the Kings would be better than Portland. That was always the narrative. They were always kind of pairing those teams up as being kind of similar. Like, oh, yeah, you know. How wrong, how wrong they were. Now yeah. Lillard's going to go, I don't know. Whatever, Lillard needs to leave for his own sake. If he really loves the Trailblazers that much, I think the best thing for him to do would be to get traded for that, for their sake. He's not going to win there with them, not with his contract. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, then they got a chance at a top pick. Shaden Sharp, despite being a complete mystery, went about as well as it could have for a rookie season for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Port- I feel like Portland really needs to reorient their uh, viewpoint, and they're probably setting. You're you're right. They're probably setting themselves back. Uh, I think as a Kings fan, you could probably say from experience that sometimes you just need to kind of scrap it all. But we're not here to talk about the Portland Trailblazers. This isn't Trailblazers talk. This is Kings talk. <laughs> Trailblazers talk. Well, that's quite a mouthful. Is it TBT. Blazers talk? Yeah. Turn in. Turn, tune into TBT. TBT this Thursday on TNT. 
the Portland TBs. <laughs> so stupid. Tuberculosis. TBT is not the <laughs> tuberculosis test. Yeah, I get. Yeah, to T. Yeah, TB. It's like the TB test. Sh- the TBT. <laughs> That'd be a great like little blogger podcast for the for the Blazers. I think so. Nobody would know what it'd mean, but a little bit of explanation, people are like, wow, that's genius. Dude, that's perfect. Yeah, which is definitely the sign of something very clever when you have to explain it. Yeah, 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 exactly. But enough with the TBT and the Trailblazers. John, how are you feeling about getting the Warriors? I know on Sunday there was several different scenarios where maybe the Kings could come out against the Clippers, the Lakers, even the Pelicans, but it kind of seemed like Warriors were going to be the team the Kings faced in the first round. And sure enough, it came out that way. Um, so what do you think? Warriors, the defending champions. Well, we did a lot of talking a few weeks ago about how Minnesota was a team that we feared. And yes. um, I still think that in talking about that and kind of discussing that topic in general of what teams, not necessarily to fear, but ones that you don't, of course, you don't want to play anybody in particular. But there's definitely the team or two that you'd rather avoid. And no matter how you sliced it, just the defending champs were there. And in a lot of ways that are different from like, you saw a lot of things go wrong for Minnesota in that final game, obviously. Um, But over the last couple of weeks, last 10 games, if you want to look at it from that stretch, the Warriors are tying it together. They're getting guys back. Um, You know, you hear Steph Curry talk about it. He says the defense is kind of playing the way that it should be playing. You know, they have Gary Payton, you know, the second back uh, on top of the, the breadth of experience that they have of guys that know how important playing on that end of the floor is on top of, you know, having other really good defenders such as Dante DiVincenzo. Um, but they still feel like they have another level to unlock offensively. And, uh, In terms of getting guys back, you know, Wiggins, there's concerns that maybe he has conditioning issues or something like that or needs some time to shake off some rust or kind of get back into that whole groove of playing NBA basketball, let alone, you know, NBA playoff basketball. But that's a guy that did it last year. That's a guy that was really a huge, massive part of their championship run last year. He's been around for a while. He's smart. You know, I mean, maybe you see him come off the bench, you know, because Curry was working his way out of injury last playoffs. He came off the bench for a few games. But even if he's starting, I just feel like to have his presence on both ends, it it gets daunting. And you can just go down the line. And Golden State is, especially in a Western conference that, you know, we nobody really has taken hold as that dominant team come playoff time. I mean, the Warriors kind of feel like the big boys. I was listening to Larry Kruger, really uh, legendary, Larry Legend, uh, in terms of Bay Area sports talk. And uh, he was asking on his podcast whether or not the Warriors are a big boy. And it's like, I feel like when you come right down to it, it's hard not to say that they're not the biggest boy, given how everything's rolling at the right time for them, given their experience, given what they did last year. It just seems kind of clear. I mean, yeah, it's the Warriors. I mean, it's the defending champs. Um, and we've talked about this because we kind of assumed the Warriors were going to be facing off the Kings. 
in the first round. And, um, I mean, they have, they still have their core group of guys that they've won. I mean, maybe not four championships with, cause you can't really count Wiggins in there, but I mean, he was there last year and he's coming back and you still have Draymond and, uh, Steph and Clay, of course, and Steve Kerr coaching. And it's just, it's just a hard team to ignore no matter, you know, Maybe you don't really see the the defending champion coming in as a six seed. It's like, yeah, they kind of had like a down year and weren't too good on the road. But you're right. They were clicking together or they're getting it together, you know, starting to click. And, you know, they're going to come out ready, come to the playoffs. That's, that's what they play for. They like the regular season. But, I mean, you know, this is a playoff determined team. And they have, they have the experience to, I guess... I mean, technically, it would be an upset, right, if they won. But I don't know if anyone would. <laughs> no, <it> wouldn't. <laughs> no, fucking wouldn't. But I, you know, I have a. You're talking about something that's reminding me of something you texted me the other day, because I kind of asked you after like the cards had fell that the way the way that they did. I asked you, would you? Are you kind of angry or mad that you're not? You, there was a distinct possibility that you could have played. You know, the Clippers or New Orleans. Are you, are you mad that that didn't happen? And you had an interesting response. That was both. That was just kind of realistic, but at, in the end, a very you know optimistic way of looking at things in terms of facing such a tough, daunting, experienced team like the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and so my my outlook on it, I suppose, is that the Kings. This is a team built for the future, right? Um, like this isn't. They're not like a championship or bust team. They have their pieces locked in for at least next season with Sabonis, but you assume he resigns and, you know, the Kings should be looking good for the next few years. They should have multiple playoff runs in them. This is the first one, so it's always hard to expect championship. And I always thought, like, this year was, like, make the playoffs. That's the ultimate goal, and everything else is icing on the cake, right? It's just more to it. Um and so it's like, yeah, we could have faced maybe the Pelicans in the first round. Who I'm not even saying it's like an easy matchup, but I'd rather technically rather have them than the Warriors. But it's like for our first go at this, like give us the defending champs. Like even if we lose, it's like we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. We're going to learn to see what it takes to win. Because you know the Warriors have what it takes to win, clearly. And I mean... If we win this, it's coming. I mean, you're still going to learn so much. It's going to be a brawl if the Kings come out on the winning end of this one. So, I just think in that sense, like especially with their first go, like make it as challenging as it can. So when they actually are legit championship contenders, maybe in a year or two, it's like you know they already maybe didn't go through the Warriors. Hopefully they do. Maybe they somehow you know find it in themselves to beat the Warriors. But I think it'll just give a lot of valuable playoff experience i think considering all the factors like (laughs) it's just that's a win-win situation because there's not a better team that's going to show uh what it takes to be playing with urgency physicality uh a defensive mindset for as you know as mike brown always says for as close to 48 minutes as possible and then if you can if you can beat them then you're probably doing a pretty freaking good job of doing that. So I was surprised at first, but when you said that, but I was like, that's really a, a perfect way to, to, to think about it. Kind of 
going off of that whole idea of like asking are the Warriors big boys and it seems like they are. The question still stands and it's fair because they finished third in the Western Conference. The conference is so weird. The NBA season was so odd and wonky at different times. Yet one of the more consistent teams throughout the the season was Sacramento. Is Sacramento a big boy? Uh, I mean, no. The, who are actually in the playoffs right now? I mean, they're they're the underdogs. I mean, other unless like the OKC or the Timberwolves make it through the plan, like they are probably considered the worst team, right? Just because of their lack of playoff experience in that sense, I should say. Everyone else has yeah. years of playoff experience. You have the Nuggets who have plenty under Jokic. You have the Grizzlies who have been, you know, they've been in the playoffs since actually taking down the Warriors in the plan a couple of years ago. And they've made it. This is probably their third consecutive year of making the playoffs, I believe. And then, of course, you have the Suns, Clippers, Warriors. And who who are the four teams in the play-in? It's the uh, Lakers... Timberwolves, OKC. Pelicans and Thunder. And Pelicans, Pelicans. Yeah, Yeah, and the Pelicans, they made it last year, but they're still, I mean, they clearly didn't have the best year, and they're kind of like, whatever. I can see the Kings being better. So it's just like, out of like the teams not in the play-in, they're definitely definitely the underdogs in this. And um, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It's like, yeah, they're the third seed. It's like they're still the underdog going against the sixth seed. It's the reigning champs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really a testament to how weird the season was, that that's how it finished. And that's, you know, it's not the fourth and fifth seed. It's the, it's the third and sixth. There's a contrast in, in the standings that's, that's odd that there is this kind of underdog set up the way it is. But I guess the one thing I would say, because, you know, you're coming into the playoffs. You want to be as realistic as possible. But the playoffs are a magical time, so you can't help getting a little <laughs> overzealous with ambition. And uh, I think one of the things that you could say about the Kings is, are they the big boys? Probably not. Probably, most likely not. Like 90% sure that they're not. But I don't know. Like this team is, we talked about it a couple weeks ago as well, that like this team's like an ultimate wild card. Because you just don't know. Like, <laughs> I think after the game on Sunday against Denver, uh, Mike Brown said something to the effect like, you know, it's I'm excited for the playoffs because it'll be interesting to see what this team does. I mean, he doesn't know. He gets asked about, like, uh, I think it must have been a Denver reporter asked him, like, we've seen what Fox in the fourth quarter can do. What do you think playoff Fox can do? And Darren, <laughs> and Mike, Mike Brown was this is just kind of broke into this big grin. And he's like, have you seen – Darren Fox in the playoffs? And the guy went like, no. He's like, yeah, neither have I. So we'll, we'll find out together, <laughs> you know? Um, so, like, there's that kind of wild card mystery, kind of playing the lotto kind of aspect of things. Um, given how good their offense is, now, obviously, they're going to have to f- really rely on that. Or, you know, maybe more unlikely, they're going to have to really – turn it on those flashes of defensive excellence that we have seen and they are flashes um not really chained together in any kind of continuous manner but you know when you see them they're hard to ignore uh they'd really have to turn it on in a consistent way um it's unlikely again comes down to that but hey you know sometimes you gotta just buy a scratcher and see what happens and uh you know we'll have to see with the kings but um it's a definitely an interesting dynamic because 
there's so much certainty about one team's metal and experience and then so much uncertainty about another one you know we're going to find out a lot about the the, the kings we kind of already know what to expect from golden state although i mean you know curry said it himself it's like the offense could still take it to another level overall they could still take it to another level um while they're optimistic about wiggins there's always those um possibilities that it takes them a while or too long to get back in a groove so there's uncertainties at play but that might be all that uh kings fans should be clutching onto at this point there's a chance, you know. You telling me there's a chance? It's somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance. I, I mean, it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough task to take down the Warriors in the first round. But I mean, I mean, the Warriors are the sixth seed for a reason. They're the sixth seed. They they had a sub not subpar but subpar regular season for you know what they've been doing in the last decade, right? Opposed to those couple seasons where they, you know, had the high draft picks, or maybe just that one season, they got Wiseman. But, you know, so you have to take that into account. And the Kings have played well all year. I mean, I think a lot, of, like you said, it's going to come a lot down to the defense, and it's going to come down to how well they can play in the half court playoffs. But game slows down a lot. Kings, you know, I, I think they can play in the half court better than in years past, but. I don't know about playoffs, half court. It's just kind of like a different game. So we'll see. I mean, they do have Sabonis, who is, he can control the offense pretty well in the half court, which is good. So I'm happy about that. But I don't know. I, I mean, I do like what you said with the Kings being the wild card because they're just so uncertain with their lack of playoff experience. Maybe Fox, I mean, we yeah, we don't know. Like maybe Fox is just going to be like, that that playoff guy and he just steps it up big time or maybe he just maybe he's a bust I, I mean i hope not but i mean it could happen right there's those guys like james harden who scores like 35 in the regular season and sc- then goes down to like you know 24 which isn't bad but kind of like all right dude and even like steph curry was kind of seen as that for a minute like, and steph you know he never won the nba the finals mvp until uh last year so Mm-hmm. We'll see what we'll see what Fox does. I, I think he's the biggest wild card for the Kings. Is he going to step up, be the hero, or is he going to take the back seat? Well, you mentioned two names there that are. This is a nice transition. Just listening to Warriors fans. I live in the Bay Area, and I talk to Warriors fans sometimes, usually in passing. Um, and uh, I think they they know that Fox and Sabonis are really good. They're all stars. Um, but I think that there's a little bit of underestimating about them. Not saying that they're the reason they, they're underestimating. They don't know that these guys are going to uh, lead the Kings to a, this upset first round victory over the Warriors. But I do think that they don't really, they, they talk about Sabonis just like he's, well, he just rebounds and passes. That's it. I'm like, dude, no, he's, he's really far more dynamic than that. Um, you know, I think I heard, I forget who it was, um, but it was on Kruger's show, say that Looney, and I think I'm quoting him by saying this, Kevon Looney can shut down Sabonis. I thought that was <laughs> kind of interesting. And also they say that Sabonis and Fox are both terrible defenders. And I'm like, okay, again, you're not watching. I would say Sabonis as an individual defender, paint, you know, on his own, he's very limited. But as a team defender, when this defense is playing the right way, 
he's one of the more prominent parts of it. And um, Darren Fox, I would, I always say that, well, he, first of all, he has so many different energies and focuses to, to, to put out in different areas. So sometimes the defensive end does not always kind of like bring out the best of Fox, but really the biggest complaint that you can make about Fox's defense is that sometimes he's a little over aggressive trying to go for a steal behind a guy. And then he just allows the guy to go to the rim or something like that. Almost just, that's the issue being over aggressive. I don't think they realize um, how much of a defensive season. I mean, how, how much of a improvement Fox has made on the defensive season uh, on the defensive end this season, if I can get that out. (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of underestimating about, I think they think the Kings have two all-stars. I don't think they realize that the Kings have two, you know, superstars. I mean, they're going to like all NBA type players. I just don't think that they don't, they don't, they don't give them that recognition. Do you get the same sense? Do you think there's, there's a good chance for Fox and Sabonis to show what they got? I mean, for the, I guess trying to like respond to that, that first thing you said about those guys saying it, like that's the media, you know, and uh, maybe the fans feel the same way as well as the media do. Maybe because a lot of people don't know about the Kings. They see their poor defense and like, well, if they have a poor defense and they're both star defenders must be bad defenders too. And so it's like, I can see where that's coming from. And the fans probably feel the same way. Um, I mean, I don't know if Steve Kerr might feel that way. I mean, I assume, I assume the Warriors aren't just like, they don't know anything about the Kings. And said, yeah, no, they just, they're bad. Like Sabonis can only pass and, and rebound. It's like clearly Steve Kerr knows more in that. He's a talented, uh, <laughs> you know, the team defender and, score or two when you need him to be but i i think the i think fox and sabonis can surprise warriors fans in the media showing like okay like we are more than just what the eye sees and what the media shows us to be um i mean i i think this is going to be more sabonis's series than fox's and i think when we always talk about the sabonis and fox like Who's the better player? I think this is where it's really going to show. Where Fox is going to be a good scorer still. I think just Sabonis is, I think in the half court, uh, I think that's really going to show how good he is of a passer and facilitator he is. And like, yeah, he's against Kevon Looney. Like, I'm not saying Kevon Looney is a bad defender, but man, he's got a couple inches on him. He's just as strong, not a, if not stronger. I, I think he's really going to dominate down low. Yeah. I mean, I think... I don't discredit the fact that on the offensive end, Jokic has a few legs up on Sabonis. But if you remember correctly, and I think the same guy that said this pointed this out, the thing that that Looney can, quote, shut down Sabonis, and I'm sure he doesn't really mean that, like, Sabonis is going to go, like, two for 12 from the field <laughs> and finish with, like, six points or something like that. Um, but he noted also that, that you know, Kevon Looney – and you'll remember this too. Kevon Looney got, you know, eaten alive by Nikola Jokic and actually started kind of falling out of favor and out of the rotation at a certain point there during the playoffs. And it's just like, again, I, 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 I concede that Jokic is a better offensive player than Sabonis, but Sabonis is not far off, like in no. any way. Sabonis is not as big bodied, but everybody talks about Sabonis being the strongest guy in the league, you know? He's mm-hmm. skilled. He's so good with his footwork and, you know, he's relentless on the glass. I mean, Looney's a great rebounder too. And I just think that it'll be fun, but it's like, 
I don't know. Sabonis, I think if Warriors uh, want to shut down Sabonis, I think that the way to do it is to take a page out of Toronto or Minnesota's book. Get different guys on them, you know? I mean, we'll get into this talking about the benches, but there's a variety of guys that maybe don't see the floor very much that I just think, and I'm not, I, I don't cover the Warriors, but if you get kind of more disruption with You'll, you'll be seeing a lot of Draymond Green at the five anyways, but if you can use the other four players on the floor to really just disrupt and find ways to mess with Sabonis, that really kind of ruins. If, if Sabonis is the central engine of this locomotive, disrupting that disrupts everything else. And you're talking about the importance of the half court. That's going to be the way to win. Um, I don't think Kevon Looney is going to shut down. I don't think he's going to be the MVP <laughs> of the series for shutting down. Sabonis I just think that's I think after game one you'll see that yeah the Warriors can really mess with Sabonis I do but it's not gonna be Kevon Looney um and it's just like I don't know how many times have we watched Fox it late it, we talk about Fox being the most clutch player in the league and he is that's so much more than clutch scoring I mean he'll turn it on on defense how many times does he get a steal late in the game and take it mm-hmm. back for a dunk yeah you know it's just like I don't know and you talk about we talk about Kings being like this wild card and this team that kind of comes out and is responsive to challenges and adversity. Again, we don't know. I mean, like he might just turn it on to another level defensively. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't bet on it, but I think he's definitely going to show how talented he is and how effective he is on that end. And I think, especially if we're talking about it being kind of more Sabonis central and not putting as much focus on Fox with the ball in his hands or in ISO situations, which is another topic we'll get to. You're now reserving energy for other things like defense. So, and, and and also in terms of like facilitation and getting involved on the boards, I think all that is interesting. So, I mean, in terms of getting back to the question originally, do Warriors fans and, you know, observers, underestimate the king's stars of course they do i think that's been the battle of this whole season is kind of proving and showing what 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 sacramento's got while that may not necessarily mean that they can push their team over the top against the defending champs i still think that warriors fans have a lot to learn about Mm -hmm. sacramento's best players Um, absolutely you hear that dub nation you hear that dub nation we're gonna hella believe yeah. <laughs> what if we just stole that? It's our motto. We believe. Yeah. We believe or hella believe. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be funny. I don't know. <laughs> they got we it's the beam team. It's the beam. The beam. I think I think their playoff motto is like feel the roar. I mean that makes sense. That wasn't that kind of their motto all season? Yeah, with those, no. those commercials that they've been playing from the beginning of the year, it's like Keegan Murray's uh, summer league three and Rashawn Holmes. I'm like that's how you, that was the idea to market the team to start the season. Dude, <laughs> Where, yeah, feel the roar. I feel like they should replace Rashawn Holmes on the roster with uh, Slamson. <laughs> <laughs> feel the roar, man. Oh my god! You should look up. So the uh, the Stockton Kings have a Mac a math a mascot. Oh yeah, named Dunkson. <laughs> and it's like, man, I always forget. It's either Slamson's son or brother, and it's like a biography of how 
they met in Africa or something. Because they're lions, you know, so. Yeah. I yeah, don't they, remember. I like but how you, they give the backstories. It's kind of interesting. It's worth a read, everyone. <laughs> so, just talking about Slamson. And I think they're brothers, though. You got Slamson, you got Dunkson, his dad Jamson. His mom Allie Oopson. That's impressive. But we were kind of uh, mentioning there something that I think is going to be a big thing for this series. And we've, again, already kind of said it, but there's all this, like we, I, I alluded to that question that Mike Brown got asked, like, well, we always know about fourth quarter Fox. What are we going to see from playoff Fox? I think playoff Fox should, at least in this series, I think playoff Fox should be a little different than typical fourth quarter Fox. And what I mean by that is really, I don't think, unless it's like crunch time, it like down to the final seconds, I'm, I'm not just excluding this, like actual real legitimate clutch time where it's just going blow for blow. And if he's really feeling it, of course you go into the normal kind of just let Fox do what he needs to do. But I think in general, isolation is doing the Warriors a lot of favors. Because if the Warriors, a high movement, high passing team, uh, high assist team, the highest assist totals, assist percentage, the whole deal can continue doing all that and limit the other team from kind of that sort of ball movement. I just feel like you want to have a more balanced offensive attack. And I just think, especially given the fact that if you're talking about isolation, now there's, we're already talking about how the nature of playoff basketball is different. So you are going to be forced into it. So if you're playing in the half court and you're just giving it to Fox every time, Golden State's got defenders that maybe can't shut down. Again, getting into that whole idea of like shutting down people, like just avoid that, but really disrupt and prevent them from making the impact that they need to make to win a game. I mean, they got Gary Payton II, Dante DiVincenzo, Andrew Wiggins coming back. I mean, like, I feel like if Wiggins is going to have any, like, rust, I don't really see a much, a ton of that happening on the defensive end. He's their best, most longest perimeter defender. And you talk about those three, those are all tenacious, terrific defenders. And it just seems like it'll be better served to kind of move off of that. And, uh, I mean, having Sabonis helps a lot, but I think Fox is, he'll be able to make impacts in other parts of the game, as I noted. Um, I just don't know that, uh, I don't know if playoff Fox in this series, I guess, just to make the point again, I just don't think playoff Fox in the series is going to be akin to the fourth quarter Fox we typically see. You know what I mean? No, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah, and like if the isolations have to go down, maybe, I mean, he's a good facilitator. He doesn't really need to facilitate usually because the bonus is on the floor or he can just get a bucket himself. It's a little different now. Maybe he can't get, he can't just go in, isolate, get that bucket. Um, you will see a, like a, an uptick in Fox's assists in the playoffs and maybe his scoring down, which would be okay just to uh, balance each other out. But that's what I was kind of saying too is like, this is, where, this is why I think Sabonis is really going to take off. He, his facilitating, I mean, the, the ball's still going to run through him a lot more than Fox um, when he's on, when they're both on the floor. So that's why I think he's going to have such a good series where um, we might see Fox's numbers drop for the reasons you said. And yeah, you definitely don't want to get stuck on isolations if it's not working. And honestly, it just 
it's kind of having already alluded to it. I mean, it's helpful too because you you see all the different areas that Fox can impact the game. First of all, you I feel like over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot more eight or nine, even ten assist games for Fox, which you didn't see a whole lot of at the beginning of the season. Um, I just think he's as with anybody, they're just more comfortable in the way things are, and he's he's maximizing his impact in each area. And I feel like if you can see him score, I don't know, about twenty get like five rebounds, eight or nine assists and playing like added defense and able to kind of make that dynamic impact uh, from having to put too much of a um, individual offensive load on his shoulders. It, that just seems like a, the way to do it and B a really big help to the monument to, to trying to tackle the monumental task that is beating the warriors, uh, beating them four times in seven games. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, and playoffs are all about matchups. And I just feel like, in terms of the Fox Sabonis dynamic, that just seems to be how that's going to have to go uh, in order to do what they want to do. And yeah, and, and Fox is more than capable than being a facilitator and getting those assists. Like, yeah, we're maybe not used to seeing it as much. Like, yeah, he's usually hanging around six or like or six or seven, right? Maybe even less, but. Like, yeah, we've seen these games where he's getting 8 and 10. Like He's had enough double-digit assist game or high single-digit assist games where we know it's definitely in his realm to do it and continue to do it. It's just not his role, usually, or it wasn't during the regular season. It was go get a bucket. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. worried in his capacity to hold that role. No, and I just think also as a getting back to that whole like underestimating Fox, that's another thing about Fox is the defense, the facilitating – even the rebounding, I just feel like he's and a lot of that goes to my, a lot of credit for that goes to Mike Brown and maybe even Luke Locks. And I guess it'd be fair to say Fox's wife. Um, but Fox is far more of a dynamic player in terms of having a versatility of impact in different areas than people realize and people want to give him credit for. I think even in Kings fans, sometimes you'll hear them kind of like denigrate his, his defense or things like that. I don't know. I feel like Fox gets a lot of flack just because he was part of so many losing seasons mm-hmm. as the, essentially the best player on the team. But I don't know. Something that this is very interesting. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with Fox, what 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 works and what doesn't. As with anything with this series, I'm not really saying anything new there. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. It's just going to be a fun series in general. I mean, mostly because... I mean, it's just going to be fun on multiple levels, right? You have their first playoff series in 17 years. You have a NorCal playoff series. You're going against the defending champions. There's just so much there. It's just, it's going to be epic. It's it's going to be an epic return to the postseason. And hopefully they have an epic opening round and surprise the Warriors and move on to the semis. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a fun series. I think even if the game, even if the series is a little shorter than people would like, I still think every game will be fun to watch. Yeah, I don't see any blowouts happening. No, and if the blowouts happen, it'll happen like in the final four minutes, like where someone just kind of run not a blowout, but someone will just kind of create some separation. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think so too. But yeah, there's like kind of whole like the NorCal thing. It's the fan bases to see how they kind of like. Uh, lock horns with each other in a playful and sometimes not so playful manner. Uh, it's kind of sibling like brotherly. Um, so 
I think that whole dynamic is fun, just being so close to each other. It's just, it's, it's great. It, it's crazy because today in my life, over the last 17 years, it had been like, I mean, that's it. <laughs> like, it's no more, there's no basketball, no Kings basketball until October. And so it's just like such an odd feeling where it's like, man, we, we could potentially have like a few more weeks of watching the Kings. I don't know. It's just kind of a surreal moment. You know what else would be surreal? Imagine if you like woke up from a coma or something of that nature. And like you had just gone to bed like right after the Sabonis trade. You couldn't really feel how that was going to go or have no finger on the pulse as to where that was headed. And you just wake up and they're like, the Kings finished third in the in the conference and they're playing the Warriors in the first round. Like, how much of a trip would that be? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a big trip. I mean, we're, I mean, at the beginning of the season, we, this was a playing team. Yeah, they're probably, probably, hopefully, getting in the plan. Hopefully, they're better than this, this, and this team to make the plan. But now it's like, I mean, they they held that third seed forever. They they got it back in. I don't, I don't even remember January. They bounced up. Then they bounced up to the second spot for a second. There, they did. They you're right. At least at least at the third seed, I should say, because yeah. they, they were they were tied for the second seed. Never had it alone, but they were tied for the second seed for like a game or two. They were at least in that third seed for a long time. A long, a surprisingly long time. I'm like, yeah, especially after the trade deadline when everyone got good. It's like, oh, okay, well the Kings are probably gonna. Drop down to the sixth or seventh seed, hopefully not to the play-in. But no, they, if anything, they moved up to that second seed during that time. So it just kind of it was crazy. What a what a year! Yeah, definitely. But getting back to the matchups between these two teams, one of the things that's really interesting is looking at the benches because the bench uh, can become very vital. You know, it's always vital. And when anything's vital, it's that tenfold in the playoffs. And Golden State's bench, it's fair to say, is ascending at the right time. They have GP2 back uh, with Wiggins coming back. If Wiggins starts, you got DiVincenzo now off the bench. Um, you got Jonathan Kuminga, who's one of the few kind of young guys that's really kind of taken on a legitimate nightly role. Um, and then, of course, they have Jordan Poole who is always a threat to be a scorer. Um, or he can end up like he was, what was it, on Friday night. He went like 0 for 9. Yeah, he was awful. So, yes. And then like the you also can throw in like they they have like Anthony Lamb. I don't think you're going to see a lot of Anthony Lamb in this series. Jermichael Green really has fallen out of the rotation. But I think in terms of disrupting Sabonis, getting length out there, I think you'll see Jermichael Green for a few minutes at some point like maybe after a game or two, you might start seeing him or maybe even game one, seeing him a little bit because I just feel like getting that extra length and that defense out there to try and disrupt Sabonis, I think that could be really helpful. So I think he can be kind of a wild card for the Warriors. And that's coming from a perspective of a guy that's been covering the Kings all season. Um, and then I think always a wild card for the Warriors bench is the other lottery pick that they have, which is Moses Moody, who mm -hmm. is always a threat to score like, 15 or 20 off the bench, even though he doesn't always get the opportunity as I understand it. That's that, that is a bench that's kind of firing on all cylinders right now. And while I wouldn't say that the, the Kings bench is doing the opposite. And that's mainly because, you know, Malik Monk after the all-star break really got back into his zone aside from like a down, like one or two down games, maybe the lower leg soreness, everything seems pretty tip top for him. 
Davion Mitchell has just blossomed over the last two months in terms of fitting into his role. I think you can, well, I don't know if he's necessarily guaranteed a huge role in the playoffs. Kessler Edwards is kind of another guy that's ascended. But, you know, there's uncertainty as to who we'll see in like terms of like a big guy. You know, Trey Lyles is kind of taking a step back in terms of scoring. I mean, outside shooting mainly, he's still providing a pretty solid impact on defense and always fighting on the glass. He's always down there boxing people out, getting his body on somebody. But it, especially given his pre-All-Star break uh, play, he's he's slowed down a bit. And um, maybe that's just enough to really that, – that fact that the Warriors really are firing on all cylinders and the Kings are kind of, in terms of their bench, just kind of almost – you almost want to slap a question mark on that too because like if Monk and Davion are playing really well, then that could constitute a pretty good bench attack. Um, but is it enough? Is it as expansive and airtight as the Warriors? I mean, just explaining it, like, it seems like everybody on the Warriors minus Anthony Lamb, um, and their rookies, uh, can really make a, a difference. Um, are you worried about the bench differential, the bench matchup here? I'm not personally. I think the Kings bench has, you know, they're going to have their good games. They're going to have their bad games. I don't know. I just, I just really trust the Kings bench. I know Davion, he's, he can be iffy on offense. Um, I really trust Lyles. Maybe he isn't shooting the ball as well as he usually does right now, but man, I mean, Trey Lyles is arguably one of our better players off the bench. I mean, it's between him and Monk, right? Um, but there's times where it's like, man, Lyles is better than Monk right now. Um, the backup five is an interesting topic, of course, that we can probably get into in a second, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, it really just depends on if Monk is, is shows up or not. Uh, I think Monk is a guy who will do well in the playoffs just because of his high energy kind of guy. And I don't know. I just, he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to fall to the pressure. He seems like a guy who's going to rise with it. Um, I mean, I think he's the real wild card for mm. this team and this bench. It, I mean, it, he's the big scorer off the bench. If he's not scoring, that's a huge scoring load that you're missing. And then, of course, you have the like backup five position, which I'm okay with right now, but it will be between Metu and Lynn. And you wrote a good article yesterday morning on this. And like, oh, is Lynn going to stay in here? He's been playing really well. Is he going to keep getting the minutes at the backup five or... Is he, are you going to see Metu? Because Metu will probably fit the small ball mold a little better against the Warriors. Or maybe we'll see Trey Lyles get moved to the five because, I mean, he could be played at the small ball five and maybe you throw Kessler Edwards at the four against their smaller four, right? The Warriors' smaller four. So just a lot of like question marks, I guess, at that backup five. But we, I mean, it's not new, right? So, yeah. but to answer your question, I, I'm not that worried about it. But if Monk gets off in game one and looks like garbage, I'd be like, uh, okay, like this is, I mean, it's, a lot of this is going to ride on Monk's ability to score. First of all, I want to just note that since Trey Lyles's uh, shoulder injury, he's shooting 27.9% from three in 12 games. Jeez. I agree with you that Malik Monk is a huge factor. He's probably the X factor. I mean, when he's playing well and balling, you know, hitting threes, doing his facilitating, um, getting to the rim through that two-way, two-man game, 
yeah, he's great. And the team's playing usually their best basketball. But again, I get down to like, think about the defenders that Golden State can stick on some of these guys and, and, and disrupt. And I don't know. That's true. No, that's true. I get very worried about the fact that it's like, if you just, even if you're hitting a bunch of threes, it just feels like you're getting into issues here where it's like whatever mat, like whatever you, the Kings can offer, you know, the Golden, Golden State's got a match for. I mean, like the one thing that they probably don't have a match for um, is like, Davion's defense because that's just going to be a huge impact no matter how mm-hmm. you cut it but it's just like that can't carry you the, the whole way you know bench scoring is going to have to be important and um I am concerned about the the benches and maybe more so just about the fact that it's like when you talk about the Warriors getting it clicking and of course Wiggins is coming back to the lineup so this kind of kneecaps my argument here but because Wiggins is coming back DiVincenzo goes back to that bench and that just seems like that's the area where I'm talking about the whole team getting it firing on all cylinders that part in particular seems like the one that's really just blasting off right now yeah and yeah uh, it's just something to kind of consider and again I, I I'd be interested to know if Warriors fans feel that way at all about using Jamichael Green a little bit or uh, if Moses Moody provides any kind of scoring punch. They probably would only use Moses Moody if they had some real issues with Poole because I just don't really – I don't really know if you're you're talking about going like five or 11 guys deep at that point. Mm -hmm. That's just not what anybody should be doing in the playoffs, let alone a team with as much experience as them. But he could be a scoring factor. It just seems like the Warriors have a little bit more ammunition there. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I mean, they might, and and it could be a big factor for sure. But I, I don't think it's. I, I think the Kings have a good bench in their own right. Yeah. Regardless of, of regardless, and yeah, they might match it, but I don't know. I, I see this. I see this series falling more on the starters and the bench. Yeah, that's but Malik me. Malik Monk does play into that massively. Yeah, uh, kind of being the fifth best player, if you want to put it that way. But I think we're obviously taunting a lot here about the backup five. I mean, in a nutshell, it feels like Alex Len over over the, the eight games that he played from Minnesota to the end of the season uh, as the reserve center. He's earned himself the nod for minutes behind Sabonis, but I just don't really see that lasting too long. I think the only real big man that the only real two big men, I guess that Golden State's going to play is Looney and Green. And I just think again, with the ability to get whether you want them to switch off or not to get the bigger guy on a smaller guy with the way the Warriors move and the way that, Steph Curry and other guys are just a threat at any point. Just any amount of space can be threatening. I just think that Len is going to just not be the ideal guy given the matchup. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean Metu's going to be the guy? I don't know. I mean, like if he's really making a defensive impact and being smart, knowing his role and just not doing anything to hurt the team, which is sometimes a lot to ask, then great. But I still feel like to just kind of cut it short here, it's just like, you, you said it best, playing Lyles at the five and letting Kessler Edwards be that fourth guy off the bench. I think Kessler Edwards could be in a similar way of talking about Moody and uh, Jermichael Green, maybe even more so for Kessler Edwards. He can be the real kind of difference maker in terms of the benches 
And that backup five thing is going to be kind of a central, like what happens there? I mean, I'm assuming we agree on this. It sounds like we do. I mean, like, how do you envision this going? Do you think Len's going to get minutes to start? Or do you think they're just going to cut to the chase and just maybe throw Metu out there? Or, I mean, how much of testing the waters are they going to do? It seems like they kind of have to test the waters, right? Yeah, I mean, they have to, right? You have to test the waters. Len has been playing so well as of late. I mean, maybe you 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 have to at least give him a shot at this point. And just the way, as much as he's been playing, you it'd be weird not to give him a shot. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And if he, I mean, if it's clear right from the get go, it's like, all right, just pull him. You can throw in Matu. You can throw in Miles. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like at this rate, you kind of have to at least try Len, right? Yeah, and honestly, just to kind of, I'm just. The size thing could become an advantage if the game really slows down and mm-hmm. there's could, not as yeah. much running and gunning. And even then, it's like Lynn is surprisingly mobile, and he's kind of always been a pretty decent floor runner despite being pretty big. Um, I think he came into camp a little bit better in shape. I mean, like not as good of shape or not as big of a contrast as Trey Lyles had because he got all the attention for that. But Lynn did the same, and it's just... There's definitely a chance, like I, I'm when we talk about like Lynn being potential, potentially a bad option given the matchup. There's also a potential that he's a good option given the matchup. So, so many question marks with Alex Lynn, and he's just like you said. I mean, he's earned it no matter what. Who would have guessed? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like it seemed like you kind of did. I like, mean, at the beginning of the season, he was like the fourth, and he just wait, didn't play all year. <laughs> it's just so yeah. weird. Like they know he's our backup center all of a sudden. Well, when we were doing the second, the first half grades, I gave him like a D minus or like a D plus or something, because I felt like I'm like if he would, if they're gonna play him, if he had any right to be on the floor and to help the team, he'd be playing. I just say overestimated Mike Brown at that point, which is not surprising because you know he's had the whole like trusting Kaziak Paula or. or Oh, trusting God. guys and sometimes it gets in the way of like the actual player evaluation so it's not surprising in hindsight but it's like at the time you were like dude he hasn't even gotten really a chance that is, I did <laughs> which say is that. fair and it's like outside of maybe like a couple games early on like i always point to the game in charlotte on halloween you know excluding all those the one game where he really had a chance to play i mean he was pretty good against Jokic and of course, that was always the matchup where if he was ever going to get extended minutes, it'd be against a center like Jokic. But it seemed like you were pretty defensive of him. I mean, but I also get where you're coming from, where it's like, well, it's like, if he's not playing, it's like, well, you can kind of conclude that <laughs> he doesn't deserve to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But here we are. Alex Lynn's probably going to go into the postseason as their backup five. And I'm happy with it. Let's see let's see how long he holds that down for. Especially mm-hmm. against a small team like the Warriors. And again, it's like if we're really talking half court basketball, he's not just on the defensive end, I mean even on the offensive end, I mean he can be effective. Good screen yes. setter, makes the right pass. He threaded a needle to um I think it was Keegan Murray's dunk on Sunday, which was like his season highlight for getting getting air. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and which was a lot better than his like first dunk of the season, which was really kind of like awkward and delayed. I don't, know, I don't remember who that was against, but I think it was like January. Anyway, to get to the point, I mean, like he's a, he's a, he's also like not only a smart passer, he can make some 
good passes. He's a good screen setter, rolls to the rim the right way, big body, a good target for dump offs and stuff like that. Certainly a way that he can work, but just given the whole, like if you recall, Chemezi Metu got tread in the fourth quarter of the first game they played against the Warriors. The Warriors looked like they had just blown out the Kings and the Kings made a miraculous near comeback. And Mike Brown said that the the pivotal aspect of that near comeback was Chemezi Metu and the, his ability to switch and his versatility and athleticism on that end. So that definitely comes into play. And um, I don't know, we'll see. And then obviously it's like you can't, just give, especially given the way Metu kind of closed the season, which was, I feel like he was really overly ambitious on offense, which he can do at times, but it just seemed like he was right before he lost kind of that backup center role again. And then even in these couple of games where like starters were resting against the Warriors or where essentially it was kind of like a preseason format in the game against Denver where the starters played the first part of the game, then you kind of went down the line. There's been moments where Chemezi Metu just thinks he's Mezzi Mamba. And there were like the second half of the um, Warriors game, he started hit. I think he went like five of six or something. Like he was nailing everything. And so it gets kind of like tempting. But um, I don't know. I just feel like, especially in the playoffs, it's like there's going to be so many moments where Mike Brown needs to tug on that leash, which is already so short. So when you start talking about that kind of stuff, it is hard to ignore the idea that, well, it kind of feels like if it's not going to be Len, I almost. I don't want to say I don't trust Metu or that they shouldn't trust Metu. I just feel like, we and we've said it all season. It's like if you are going to play small ball five, why don't you just go with Lyles at the five and then use Kessler Edwards? And again, talking about the matchup, that actually seems like that could work. I mean, if Len doesn't work, that seems like the next best option. You know what I mean? So yeah, hundred percent. You I mean you rather have Lyles there at the five than Metu, right? Especially if Lyles is hitting threes, because Metu is just we've talked about. It. I mean. He was never really a three-point threat, but he's had his moments. And I think it was in that last game against Denver. He had a wide-open three on the wing, and he was like going to put it up, and it was the weakest hesitation like in terms of just it, 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 his ambition had totally just deflated. And it just kind of went from being this wide-open shot to he like dribbled it up, and then you know, <laughs> they had to like find something else. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Just put it up at that point, you dingus. <laughs> um, so it's really not – I don't know. It's also kind of a sign of like, is Metu in the right headspace? Has got the right amount of confidence? Does he know what to do? That, especially in the playoffs, I don't know. Like, yeah. there's reasons. There's reasons to be very skeptical of Metu. Whereas Len, I think Len has playoff experience. Did he have experience with? Um, maybe not like as a huge role, but did he have it that one year with Atlanta? I don't know. Well, I don't know if Atlanta was good then because they had yeah. they got Trey Young. I don't uh, Len, know. If Len, Len was their starting center, so they might not have been good. <laughs> and then and then Lyles has like a little bit of playoff experience, I think, with the Spurs. But again, he was. What about with the Nuggets? Oh, uh, Lyles. Yeah, yeah. probably that's probably where it might not have been. Uh, might have been both. I'm looking up know. Len now. Len Sanity. Okay. A Len show playoff series he has one it was oh, actually, yeah. it was actually in he was on washington wow yeah, yeah. And, and uh trey lyles it's denver he's had a couple of series with denver and then before that it was actually with utah yeah he got drafted by utah yeah utah jazz 
Yeah. Just in case you didn't know that was their team. Right. But but kind of like what you were saying, like at the end of the day, I trust Len's IQ over Metu's. And that's huge yeah. for the playoffs. Yeah. Metu, just I just fitting, don't trust. Fitting into your role, doing your role, being a star in your role. Uh, Metu's done it for stretches, but it's not super convincing. And again, those stretches... Yeah. And the things that he does well, like running the floor and stuff like that, and I don't know. I mean, like, is that going to come into play as much? I mean, the thing that's going to keep him on the floor is if he really does make a defensive impact and all of a sudden, well, the Kings are switching one through five. Well, then that becomes an issue too because then you got Sabonis off the floor. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens because if Metu's really making an impact on defense, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's very, very, a lot of working parts there, but... In terms of more mystery about what's a, what's ahead, um, Keegan Murray had a hell of a rookie season, broke the single season or the rookie three point record for threes made in the season, and shot over what forty one percent. Crazy, just absolutely fantastic option out on the perimeter for the Kings, um, and he has made strides in in other aspects of the game i feel like you saw his defense kind of have various moments kind of starting in the midpoint of the year and he's he's kind of slowly progressed there he's really progressed in his confidence and his, his rebounding ever since that first time mike brown called him out in a press conference is generally very good i feel like he's a pretty consistent like five or six rebounds a game as of late but Comes another phase of being a professional basketball player that's not even easy for people that have been in the league for a while. When it's your first playoff series, it's a hell of an adjustment. What do you expect from Keegan Murray in the playoffs? That's a tough question because he's a rookie on a big stage. But it's also like, well, if anyone was going to do well, it'd be Keegan Murray because he's just, I mean, he made 200 threes in his rookie year on the third best team in the West. So it's like you think he has that confidence and that poise to keep performing well in the playoffs as a rookie. And I think he can. I, I think at the end of the day, just to say it, I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's half of our answers, right? It's like he could be just the same old Keegan Murray because he's ha- he's that kind of rookie. He's just a calm, collected guy. But man, sometimes we'll see Keegan Murray go cold and it's like, geez, like, stop shooting, dude. Um, which I appreciate when he doesn't stop shooting. It means he doesn't lack confidence, I guess. But, I mean, making, making big threes in the playoffs, that can be tough. I've always, I always give rookies, you know, the benefit of the doubt. They're rookies. But I don't know. I, I Honestly, honestly, not just saying this as Keegan Murray fan or a Kings fan. It's like Keegan Murray's just, he's not like those other rookies. I think he's, I think he has a better chance of keeping it up in the playoffs than maybe some other youngsters out there. But he does have that rookie label on him that will make you question it. The way I see it is, or the way I anticipate it going, is that he's going to struggle a little bit at first. Maybe in some form, whether it's a combination of all these, but maybe his threes aren't falling. Maybe the intensity of the game is a little too much and you've seen him kind of turn into a statue at times and become kind of a deer in the headlight. But 
all of that never lasts too long. And that's the one thing that you're kind of alluding to also with Murray is he's not like other rookies. He's mature. He bounces back. When I said like the playoffs is being is an adjustment, it's just another adjustment for Keegan Murray. Whether it was having to adjust from getting used to NBA travel and the off the court matter that happened in November, he bounced back. He figured it out. Uh, it seemed like for a second there, maybe it was in February or early March, kind of seemed like he was cooling off for a second there. And we talked about it and it just felt like, it seems like another adjustment. You're getting to this kind of end of the season where teams are getting guys back and coming back at full strength and really gearing up for what lies ahead. And it didn't take him very long to get back going. I kind of foresee the same thing for him that by, and maybe it'll be too late and maybe it won't come in time and make the necessary impact. But in terms of playing the long game, of playing down the line, I wouldn't be surprised if he struggles for the first two or three games and then kind of just starts playing like the normal Keegan Murray. It'll be really interesting to see what happens if the threes are falling or not, because if the threes aren't falling, and I'll get to this when we start when we get to our predictions, but it's like as much as you don't want this to happen in the playoffs because you can't rely on this to win a championship, but in the first round of against the Warriors, you're going to need three-point shooting to go down. And obviously that's probably what Warriors fans want to hear. It's like, oh, the only way that the Kings can beat the Warriors is if they shoot, if they hit like 17 or 18 threes a game and shoot close to 40% as a team. Um, But sadly, that's going to have to be a factor at some point. And so if Keegan Murray is not hitting threes and contributing to that, you know, things could get kind of difficult in terms of using him and his placement out there. But Again, it's that whole thing of the way this guy's adjusted, the way this guy's remained confident, regardless of the situation and the challenges ahead of him. I just, that's kind of, and you're kind of saying in this two, this twofold thing, like, well, we don't know because he's a rookie, but he's also not like other rookies. And I think for that reason, that synthesizes into this, I don't want to call it a forecast, but this prediction that he'll, he'll struggle for a game or two, maybe three, and then kind of get it going, or at least get back on the wagon, as it were. Does that sound crazy? No, I, I think that's a really excellent prediction, actually. I, I kind of kind of what I was saying, I guess, in a way, but really laying it out there and what might actually happen. Speaking of predictions, we've gotten to the point where I think we should make our predictions for this series. Do you want to go first? Sure. Are we just doing like... Who yeah, who's going to win and, and how many games and, and why? Any thoughts on it? <sighs> Man, I hate to say this as a Kings fan, but as a objective man, I think the Warriors in six, that's because it's, it's the Golden State Warriors, man. And, and the Kings don't have the experience. Uh, Warriors are heating up at the right time. They're looking good. Um, and it's just, they're just going to show to be too much for the Kings and the Kings' first playoff series. Yeah, in 17 years, but the first playoff series as this unit together. Um and uh, my cat feels differently. She's shaking her head. If you can hear it, but um, <laughs> it's just—I I think at the end of the day, the Kings are going to learn a lot from the series. Kind of like I was saying earlier, they're going to learn what it takes to win and be one of the elite teams in the NBA. And they're going to come back next year and they're going to go a lot further. But it's always tough in that first round, as the first year as a unit, especially against the defending champs. What about you? Yeah, I'm essentially the same boat, maybe a little less popular with Kings fans, but I have Golden State in five games. I just think 
that, like I said, I think if you want to, I'll put it this way. If the Warriors are going to win this, or if the Kings are going to win this series, because I just don't necessarily believe, as much as this would be the key to winning this series in all series, and this should definitely be the goal going forward, I just don't think that the Kings are going to turn on the defense at such a magnitude that they're going to be able to beat the Warriors four times, let alone more than once or twice. And I just think that they're going to have to rely on their offense just being what it is, which is one of the best offenses in history, the best offense in the league. And what does that get them? I think that only gets them one game. I think one game where, you know, the the, the, the Kings are just lighting it up and maybe they get some benefits because the Warriors turn the ball over a lot. Um, if the Kings can take care of the ball and be smart with it, but it, it just feels like breadth of experience, the depth, the ammunition for the rosters, it just seems like there's it's a lot of things have to go the Kings way to win a lot of these games. Um, I think a lot of them will be close, but you know, I, I just, I just think that for as good of the Kings are on offense, the Warriors are pretty darn good too. I mean, like this is a top 10 offensive rating team and defensive rating wise, they finished 14th, but over the last 10 games, they are only they, they had a 108 defensive 108.6 defensive rating, which was second only behind Boston. And again, it's like we're talking about it. it's like I really kind of view the Warriors as the most dangerous team in the West. They're like right up there with Boston and Milwaukee. In the because I don't really think that there is unless proven otherwise. I don't really know if there is another team in the West that can do that. And I think it'll be a fun series. I think it'll be really hard fought. I don't think. Again, like we said earlier, I don't think it'll be like a blowout necessarily, but the Warriors, it's just hard not to, it's just hard to see the, the Kings winning multiple games. And I think another factor that comes into it is it's like, how much of a home court advantage are the Kings going to have? I mean, and would that even matter? The Kings have left a lot of potential wins on the floor at home. And also you want to talk about the Warriors being a really bad road team. Is this a typical road situation? And, you know, an hour and 45 minute drive in a city where, you know, there's a lot of other fans show up just and the playoffs will be different, obviously, I guess maybe, but you just kind of start going down the line and you're just like, I don't know. It's hard not to go with golden state. And maybe I'm too harsh by saying five, but you gave them, you gave the Kings a couple wins. Um, <laughs> But I just think they'll split the first two, and then the Warriors will just win out. Yeah, it'll. I mean, it'd be crazy if the Kings could pull it off. And this might be one of the hardest <laughs> series they face too, if they move on from the Warriors. I mean, you can argue it just gets easier in the West from there. That's um, a great way to look at it. If they can get over this hill, it's it's broad horizons at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. And then everything we everything we've said about experience and stuff like that has to take a back seat because that if you can beat the Warriors, even if the Warriors do just like struggle, like Wiggins doesn't come back looking like himself in any capacity, if they turn the ball over enough and allow the Kings to be the bigger team on the boards and really punish them, which is another problem for the Warriors too, is their rebounding. And if that stuff can happen, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Kings are just they're a runaway train. Mm-hmm. So. I think so too. It's getting past this first series, though. It's gonna be a tough one. Yeah, but I think just to kind of second your point, I mean, if you're gonna want to lose to anybody, you want to lose the best. 
not just for narrative's sake, like, oh, we lost to the defending champs and potentially the Western Conference champs, but also you take into account the actual, like, having Kings players, Kings core players, seeing Warriors core players that have either been there for many years or just a few years, and, and seeing how they comport themselves, how they act, how how serious they get when things are their 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 most fragile and their most important. I just think seeing that and experiencing that firsthand will it'll lend a lot to Sacramento and, and uh, what's ahead. I guess we'll see how the first game goes by the time we talk next time. There will only be one game in. The Kings play Saturday at five thirty, and then they don't play again until Tuesday. We'll be talking. Monday night and then releasing you guys on Tuesday. So it'll only be one game. Probably not too much to analyze next time either. D- definitely stuff to analyze for sure in one game, but hopefully hopefully we have two podcasts and where the Kings are still in the playoffs. <laughs> we only do one podcast. Like, okay. Well, the Kings said in the second podcast, well, the Kings have been kicked bounced from the first round in four games. <laughs> it sucks. But yeah, no, it'll be exciting by the next time we talk. Can't wait for Saturday. It's going to be super exciting. Going to be obviously watching that game. And just I'm just ready for it, no matter how tough it is. And the Golden 1 Center is going to be so loud that night. Wish I could be there. I'm not spending that much for a ticket right now in my life. But maybe one day, maybe in a couple of years when they're, <laughs> it's not a 17-year playoff drought and they've been a couple of years in a row, maybe it'll be a little cheaper. than. Do we, do we know why they're so expensive? Is it because they know that it's such a, a high-prized thing that hasn't happened so much? So they just marked up the price, or I think I don't. Is I, that I'm what it sure. is? I have no idea. That's a great question. Because if that's the case, I just want everybody to keep that in mind when they talk about. Some people just started to gush about how great of an owner Vivek Ranadive is. Seems like priorities are in an interesting place, but I don't know. I don't know. How, I don't know why they're that much, and why the tickets in San Francisco are like significantly less yeah Yeah. that it's very interesting might as well just go to the chase center at this point honestly yeah i mean come stay with me no i'll just spend 450 (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Yeah. but yeah saturday saturday that's the day but john it's fun talking to you what do you got what else you gotta say to wrap this wrap this sucker up I, there's nothing more we can say, as we've kind of noted throughout the podcast. We're going to have to wait and see. And I, I differ. After one game, I think there will be even more to talk about than previewing the series. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And as always, until next time, have a good one. <laughs>